0: Well, boxing You're Welcome on in Ireland's boxing weekly podcast on all things amateur, professional, domestic and international. If you'd like to find a link for all the previous episodes on any platform, or if you just like to keep an eye on our social media, you'll find all of that and more in today's show notes. Yes, you are welcome on in indeed to an episode where a climate has changed, where there's a different feel, not just around the heavyweight division but around the boxing world in general. Boxing, after a turbulent few weeks, needed what it got on Saturday night and I credit and I absolutely take my hat off and give massive props and full respect to all who play their part in bringing together those elements to put on the show that we saw on Saturday night. Take the card aside, take the results aside, take everything else aside. A boxing festival that was worthy of the stage it was set upon. Massive, massive event, and after the tragic events of the passing of Jeanette Zapeda, after the horrible, disgusting, vile marks, skate marks, if you want, left on this boxing world by the WBC, and in course by Oscar Valdez and his disgraceful carry on. And the excuses that could have come since. There was no place for it. And we really did need. Not only a good show on Saturday night. We also needed the right result. And boy oh boy did we get it. Apologies again. A little bit of a delayed output this week. couple of different factors. The main one being. I am no longer Daddy Daycare. For the last 6 or 7 years I've been a stay at home dad. Minding, taking care of, delivering to school, collecting from school, training, matches. You name it, I've done it and I've loved every minute of it. But there comes a time, certainly, it's way over time. I've I've wanted to do it and look forward to doing it for, for a long, long time. I've earned and worked since I was 13 years of age, part-time. And uh, it's part of life. Something I just, and the situa- situation that I found myself in. And I feel that situation and I'm absolutely honoured and, and delighted to have done it. But now it's the time, back in the working world, earning A weekly wage. Starting at 5am. Finishing at 1pm. So it's all good. It's taking a little bit of getting used to. Particularly when we hit that. Maybe 1, 1 1.30, 2 2 o'clock mark. When it's time. you got to sit down. you got to take a, a a short rest. So that and the fact that I've had a gremlin in the studio. And I don't know where the little shits come from. I don't know where he's hiding. But there's been software issues. There's been PC crashes. Anyway look. The bottom line is, nearly all ironed out now, back on the road, I have a couple of guests lined up, I have questionnaires done, gone to the guests, and we will have a new co-host for every odd episode as well, and I'll tell you more about that as we firm it up. This episode, I guess, comes off the back of what was a really momentous weekend for boxing. It was a weekend, if I'm honest, I believe boxing needed uh, the fight, of course, of Anthony Joshua and Alexander Usyk in Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I don't know is it's still called White Hart Lane, is it? I think it is, but a phenomenal stadium. And it was a huge, huge event. It's no secret. Anybody who's willing to listen to me over the last while, um, since I've seen Usyk, I've been high as a kite on him. Really have been just blown away by him. I There's nothing he does that doesn't impress me, if I'm honest. He fights he boxes his media presence his media work is just it's it's its unique there's nobody else doing it and as I said about Eamon and fighters of his ilk in that era they didn't try to be anything they're not and that's what impresses me so much about Usyk he just lets he he has his own little quirks, he has his little, he he works around the language barrier by using it as a quirk and it's, it's just, it all adds to the intrigue and the mystique of a truly superb boxer. I saw him just before the Lowacky fight in 2016 and I have the, the post, the social media post saved on my phone, I said to my old pal Sharky, big shout out to Sharky over there in New New York in the Big Apple, an Allenview Heights man, and Newbridge man, an Irish man, and a big, big, big boxing fan and myself and Sharkey were absolutely mesmerised by him that night and we believed, and I said it in the tweet that I think he would go on to do what Evander Holyfield did at cruiserweight and at heavyweight on Saturday night that prophecy came through did I see it coming through in such an emphatic way? No no, I'd be lying if I said I did, but There were a few things in the week that I'm going to quickly go through before we get to Eamon. And I suppose it started in the build-up when we looked at the media. And um, Usyk comes with a team of of four or five, maybe six tops, definitely no more than ten. They arrive in in no frills, no glam, no lits, nothing, just in and get on with it. Uh, head head down hood up everything else and then yes i'm sure he's aware that that adds to the mystique and it adds to the intrigue but the fact is i was looking a lot at aj in the build-up to it um he looked lethargic he looked he looked like he just didn't be couldn't be arsed in the media sessions last week um he looked like a guy when he did it just looked forced it looked looked it looked fake if i'm being honest there was no there was no the AJ that we saw on Saturday night, stopping in the crowd and everything else, that that, that they weren't matching up, you know, so I, I, again, this is just my little notes that I made as I was watching, you know, and, and I did have a this part of this episode pre-recorded, I've scrapped it because it was a little bit, yeah, it was a little bit, it's not appropriate now anyways, after the result, and um, what did I say? I was it completely and utterly at ease, relaxed, comfortable, so comfortable it got me wondering how why this is 70,000 in England first show after lockdown these are going to be a raucous crowd so then you look a little bit at boxing diehards will know the usic story but for people who are new enough to boxing This man has had over 300 amateur fights. He's boxed in the Olympics when AJ wasn't even boxing in 2008. He then gold medaled at the same Olympics in 2012. This is all stuff you will have seen and heard. So he's a supreme boxer. He's got over 300 fights. Experience coming out of his ears. But in his pro career, he's done everything he's done on the road. Everything. He's gone to hostile territories. For the final of the WBS, he went to Russia. People know their history, their geography ukraine and russia they ain't they ain't fellows, you know they ain't ever going to be on each other's christmas list it was completely sporting occasion there was no uh, nothing went down no 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 nothing other than boxing he went there but he systematically destroyed the russian fighter who also happened to be a monstrous puncher gassiev just took him apart and he became the undisputed unified cruiserweight champion of the world and the first to win the Muhammad Ali trophy he went on from there called out Tony Bellew and we all know how it goes from there um I believe now and I said it all along and I believe all along that Usyk in hindsight was essentially using those fights with Matrim to find his way along to feel as he likes to say I think he only showed what he had to show and and there's a lot of people wanted to say oh, he didn't look so good against Derek Chisora. You, answer me this. Who does look good against Derek Chisora? And how can you look good against Derek Chisora? It's impossible. You know, it's a bull and matador style. And he absolutely used every ounce and every inch of his bulk and size to just make Usyk uncomfortable. What happened at the end of the night? It was a wide, wide, comfortable win for Usyk. Anyone that says any different that's okay, that's that's your opinion, but that's what it was. I think he used it to see how Matchroom used their shows, how they build, how they, who the people are, who the staff are, and whilst Matchroom may have been using the signing of, of Usick as a way to keep him away from Joshua, remember, remember, Rob McCracken made a comment but not long after he won the titles, that the three fighters on the planet that he needed to stay away from were, of course, Ortiz, Wilder, and sick. After that you can make what you will. This was a mandatory fight. He didn't want, he didn't really have to take this fight. So questions asked there. So we move on from there. That was the build up. Around about Thursday we get to the press conference, the glove meeting the rules meetings and stuff like that. And I was absolutely, I couldn't believe it. I genuinely couldn't believe it. Remember the stick that AJ got after the Ruiz fight. When Ruiz played the fool he, he possumed, played possum and even at that press conference he asked AJ can I have a load of the belts can I try the belts and everybody was oh look at this guy you know taken in for by completely and afterwards people were very harsh and fairly scathing of AJ and team AJ for allowing that to happen you know you, you don't let your guard down these were things that weren't going to happen again and we saw a hard-nosed AJ in the rematch albeit scared stiff and boxing very very cautiously but again in the build-up there was none of that amicable amicable best friends malarkey so the other day we see Usyk suckering him again by asking him for a selfie not only does AJ agree and get a selfie he looks for a second one and I can hear him saying maybe you could airdrop it to me you know and you can see Usyk smiling thinking I've got this guy on the hook the ring walks (sighs) ring walks I couldn't help wondering was this been filmed as part of an AJ movie or documentary or something to do with a a life story because it was almost like a mixture between WWE it was a mixture between Rocky it was a mixture and then you remember oh this guy's got a fight when he gets to the ring you know dipping into the crowd to to pay props when you look at Usyk he never lifted his eyes. He walked to the ring. He didn't expend any energy. He didn't think, talk or do anything other than get to the ring and stay in the ring. And everything about Usyk was businesslike from the time he entered that arena. And Joshua, you got to think, was the polar opposite. The fight starts and right from the jump, right from that jump, we saw, it reminded me so much of that famous match in Dublin. Ireland versus Holland where Ireland needed to win to qualify for the World Cup in 20... i say... I want to say around about 2008, I think it was. A much fancied and a star-packed talent Dutch team arrived in Lansdowne Road against an Irish team that were... Look, they were, they were what they were. They were decent. They were hard-working. Hard to break down. But the significant statement in that game came after 30 seconds the ball was tipped and Roy Keane absolutely turned... Frank Ronald De Boer on his head in the center circle and it was that line in the sand. Here you go. This is what you're getting every minute, every time. And out came Usyk absolutely drove, hammered his jab straight through the guard of AJ And you could see a look, you could see, whoa, this is this is more than you know, and it went from there. What happened? Why did it happen? How did it happen? And who let it happen? Ultimately. well well, I suppose everyone has a version of it and and everybody has a thought on it I'm not going to waste too much time going into it what do I believe? I heard something in the run up to it that there was a question of an injury something to the right hand the right arm something around the elbow Um, I don't know how true it is I don't know how real it is I don't know but it definitely came out there was photographs of little if you want to be speculative, if you want me to give an educated guess it looked very much like keyhole uh, marks and there was some speculation as I said there was nothing confirmed no nothing there was no talk about it at all in the before or after but when you look at the fight and how the fight played out yes he was wrong to try and box Usyk but when you look at when he did throw the right it was a short right it was never extended it was never thrown with any venom it was always just thrown as a short a short hook or a short uppercut. There was never anything behind it, and I don't know. I'm not making excuses because ultimately, ultimately, I expected seek to win one way or the other, and I did expect AJ rather than flicking his jab. I, I expected him to be driving it like a sixteen-wheel juggernaut. I expected it to be not quite what Joe Joyce's is, but to be absolutely horrific. To be f- l- filled with spite every time it was thrown, with malice to do damage and to set up the right hand which when you think about the size differential and you think about the power that it could and should carry it would have it, it certainly would have had an impact on the on the way the fight played out and who knows and the result but that's a lot of could have should have would have and if my granny had balls she'd be my granddad and all the rest bottom line can aj do enough in the time that there will be between this and the inevitable rematch Will AJ take the rematch? Should he take the rematch? What will happen if he does? These are all the questions that many people are asking. Since now, if you're an AJ nuthugger and you think the sun, moon, and stars and everything else shine out of his his um his his ass, I was going to say something else. Um, well then you will tell everybody like they have been doing over the last few days that that's what's going to happen. But if you're a realist and if you're a boxing realist and you've been around it enough and you've learned enough, and you, and you saw what you saw, you will know that this is a seriously, seriously career-threatening crossroads for Anthony Joshua. I'm not exaggerating when I say that. I will also go as far as to say that he has now changed the dynamic of the heavyweight division, he being Oleksandr Usyk. I believe now the dynamic has changed. I believe the power has shifted. I think we're going to see a different era. And as, an, as a Tyson Fury fan... I would be very, very reluctant to write off Alexander Usyk and to say that the size of Fury and everything else, because when you look at the way Usyk systematically dismantled, dissected and took apart Anthony Joshua, and when you look at the way that fight ended, and you can listen to all the arguments by Edward of Hearn that the time wasn't cut short and that the clock wasn't. At the end of the day, if Alexander Usyk was the one on the ropes at the end of that round and Anthony Joshua was the one, Pouring out all that punishment. Would we have seen that an outcome? Would we have seen the referee jump in? How many times did AJ's legs buckle in that fight? How many times? How many times did you see his long spindly legs? He wasn't able to get his foot outside. He could not do anything to combat the effective control that Usyk threw over him. The southpaw will always try to keep their foot on the outside. The only, The only way to even begin combating the onslaught of an of a southpaw as anybody will tell you is not to throw single shots not to try punch with them is to throw three four five shots is to offset them not give them the chance and you could see with Usyk's jab and uppercuts they came regularly they came accurately and they came often and they paid paid huge dividends for him in that fight um I've no hate for Anthony Joshua I've no hate for him at all I, I When I say I've tried over the years to look for reasons not to like him, uh, that's a little bit of an exaggeration. I certainly, at times, have disagreed with stuff that he's said and done. I've never drank the Kool-Aid when it comes to his record and when it comes to opponents. And that's a lot of stuff you're going to hear regurgitated. Look at the people he's beaten. Yeah, look at them. Look at them. Every one of them came, stood in front of him and got blown out, beaten. Pummeled, hammered with that huge jab, and of course the right cross comes across. But how many of them had the legs, the dexterity, the IQ, the experience, and the absolute world-class technical skills to do what Usyk did the other night? None. Pulev stood in front of him like a totem pole. Tackham had him in trouble. He stood in front of him like a totem pole. Joseph Parker froze in the headlights, didn't move as much as he could, should have, and would have. So many different things you can look at. Derek Chisora, they say gave Usyk fits as I said at the top of this hour who can look good against Derek Chisora nobody it's impossible and just to wrap all this up what I'm going to say is do not assume anything for a rematch do not assume that this rematch is going to happen do not assume that Fury will do anything to Usyk do not assume that Fury will even fight Usyk Usyk is an absolute nightmare for everybody in that heavyweight division and when you look at the promoters They were lining up Aram, Warren, Hearn. They were all lining up to line their pockets with multi-billions of dollars in potential fights with Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury. And now look at what's happened. In 35 minutes, 36 minutes, Usyk has just gone and absolutely smashed that to pieces. It's now... It's now just... It's in tatters. It's in tatters. I could... Go into the whole debacle of Fury Joshua, and perhaps now you could see reasons why feet were dragged. Perhaps now you can see that maybe all is not what it was supposed to have been. Perhaps it wasn't all Team Fury's fault. Who knows? Who knows? But what I will say is that if Andy Ruiz could do what he did to Joshua, if Alexander Usick could do what he did to Joshua, what in God's name will Tyson Fury do to him? What would he do? I I just don't know. For me, what happens now, if they do take the rematch, if, let's be realistic. If they take the rematch, Joshua needs to go and learn the street fight. He needs to go bring in somebody to his camp who is going to make him absolutely pain, feel pain that he's never felt before. He needs to be, not be pampered, not be the top dog in the gym. And... That's another area that really puzzles me. Why is Anthony Joshua one of the biggest stars in world sport? Not just in boxing, in world sport. Why is he sharing a gym with amateurs in Sheffield who are perhaps maybe going to make the Olympics one day? Why? Why is he living down there being the top dog where everybody bows, where it's reverential treatment? Why? Why has he not got his own facility somewhere where... Everybody and anybody is brought in to make him feel uncomfortable, to drag him into waters that he's never swum in before and make him make him sink and make him drown a little bit because he drowned in no uncertain terms on Saturday night. Where has he ever been in a firefight? Where has he ever been put to the pin of his collar, beaten so hard he doesn't know what's going to happen next? These are questions need to be asked. Who's going to ask them? Is Rob McCracken the man to ask those questions? Are the other 30 fellows who are dining out on Team AJ and tweeting left, right and centre, are those the fellas? For me, it has to be someone that's going to teach him to fight ugly, to do all the things that Fury does well, to do all the things that any seasoned pro heavyweight will do. Take it up on the inside, push the arm down, drive the elbows across, use the head, do all the dark arts, All the things that people don't like to hear that go on every single fight you see, where were they and why did they not happen? Why was he left with shaking Bambi folds legs just lost again, again for the second time in four fights? It's worrying, it's worrying as a fight fan for somebody who has no hate or no ill will for Anthony Joshua, but Certainly thought he would bring a lot more to this firefight than he did. Something you hear me talk quite a lot about on this podcast is character. Years gone by, the eighties, the nineties, packed with larger than life characters, but true to life. They were themselves. They just lived the boxing world as they lived there every day. And every now and then a fighter comes along who books the trend. No frills. not th- bells, no whistles, no noise, no ego. Just a big talent with an even bigger work rate and determination to succeed. A determination and a work rate that surpasses most of the best and definitely all of the rest. And I'm absolutely delighted to say that today's guest embodies all of those characteristics and then some. Eamon Loughran first walked through the doors of All Saints boxing club at the tender age of 11 years of age from that day forward he was bitten by the bug he was very very powerful at a young age driven at a young age but determined all the time to better himself he was blessed with the backing of a mentor a, an advisor a father who from the first step to the last was behind him all the way He's a fella I've wanted to chat with for a long time, and was very blessed and thankful to get to speak to him a few weeks ago. So that was the thing about
1: boxing; it just took you away from the troubles, and you never got involved. You mixed with your friends, your neighbours, and uh, you know, especially me. I, I lived in a dominantly Protestant town, so I did, you know, so it uh, it would have been easy for me to get involved in things but I never do boxing that was fantastic it gave me a great start in life so I did and I opened up doors and helped you I think that the thing about boxing it, it helps you meet other sports people travel the world yeah. and when you travel the world a wee bit and you meet people from Dublin, Cork Belfast whatever and it opens your mind up I think it's was the case when you're when you're stuck about somewhere like Ballymina or Belfast or whatever and, be it, and you haven't moved out of it or been out of it much then you know you, you become a wee bit uh, shallow. But boxing's fantastic for that.
0: All we hear about is uh, feuds and riots and killings and shootings and stabbings and all the bad side. We don't hear the good stories.
1: You said there earlier, I think boxing's in a, a golden moment at the moment. So it is with, with the likes of Eddie Hearn and this new guy, John, John,
0: uh, I can't pronounce his last name. I, do, I did work with him. I met him every day, John Wish. John in yeah. Sky TV. Sky TV boxing's in a
1: beautiful place at the moment with with these guys involved me and Eamon Macaulay would maybe disagree on this a wee bit because he likes he likes the one champion uh, seven or eight divisions you know the heavyweight middleweight and the welterweight champion he likes it like that and he likes the one TV I, I don't I like it the way it is now and I'll tell you the reason why uh, I think it gives great opportunities for every kid yeah. you know there's, if there was one champion it, 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 it uh, bre- breaks down the opportunities for other guys there's so much there's more TV there there's, there's this new thing Eddie has then there'll be Sky then there'll be Frank Warren so, well, and there'll be other you know, Channel 5 and there's kids there today I can assure you now the likes of John uh the likes of kids from Belfast Lewis Crocker and all those kids they're all going to get their opportunities yeah. If it's not in Channel 5, it'll be on Box Nation, it'll be on Sky TV, and that's the be-all and the end-all of boxing, because there were so many great fighters, even before my time, they got to the 25 and 30 fights, and never got their opportunity, before before you knew it, they, were picked, they had picked it in, or went into something else, so there's super opportunities now, for kids, and I think it's a good thing, so I do, but neiman likes the. The seven or eight champions, and he likes it just being the history of boxing. So it is, you know. So, which is, he's entitled to his opinion, but I just think it's it's good now. And plus, I think it's also good that uh, the finances that's been through our boxing, and and boxing's uh at the moment it's it's the end
0: sport. Yeah, I think the ideology of of one belt per one per one belt per one weight. I think it's. It's a nice idea until you start looking into it and I think then you were right, it, it, it starts to it starts to curtail and maybe bottleneck. Beauty of your career, it was on terrestrial T V, everybody was able to watch it. And I think in a roundabout way we're coming back to that now. Smaller ones are, are fanning out and they're finding their way onto terrestrial TV like Mick Hennessy, who's phenomenal at building fighters. Oh,
1: he's doing great, yes, amazing. He's given some great kids, super kids, a great opportunity. So, yep. you know, that possibly more than possibly wouldn't have got that opportunity.
0: More than likely More than likely Because unless you come back With a medal from an Olympics Or somewhere like that You get frowned on But before I get into all that I Eamon Your career You were blessed I would say from the beginning Those formative years As you say You could have been sat around Kicking kicking rocks Getting yourself in trouble But you had a very strong Guiding light Who was your dad From amateur all the way through And he was one of the mainstays As well in, in the club Where you started it all off
1: He so took over So I did, And uh... It was after when I started boxing at 11. He had been there before with his brothers and his uncle at All Saints Amateur Boxing Club. When it first started, he drifted away. Then as I started into my first All-Ireland, that time he had an alcohol problem, so he had He was an alcoholic, and then he broke that, so he did, and stopped it, so he did. And I think I give him something to look forward to and to focus on, and not just me, the club, and... The other lads, every one of the lads in the club, he, uh, he, he focused on that, rather than the alcohol, and then it just went from there to success for the club again, because all Saints had went through a, a period or amateur club went through a period of not, well, we had a great success at the very start, Father Alec Dara was there and then for, he left the parish and then uh, it, it went through, the club sort of, sort of died down, there was nobody really pushing it or, or guiding it, and then I was the, the next more or less the next generation to come through and then all the other lads was, they all they all won through do dumb things, uh, my brother, uh and John McAleese and other kids do at the club. There was a whole gang of us all went to Dublin every year to win all Ireland. So he was the the guy for me and right through and then when I got to the stage of fifteen or sixteen and needed to head to Belfast, like and Dublin and place like the gap for uh, weekend training and sparring. He was the guy that took me everywhere. and says, Look, we've got to go here. We've got to do this here And then, I don't feel like it. I don't want to go. And he said No, you've got to go. Got to go. And yeah. that was the that was the 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 best. and He just pushed me and kept at me and kept at me in a good way. A good way too, you know, because when I didn't want to go here, he says, Look, you're going. You're going. Yeah. the story and You know, end up going. You know, and it was it was fantastic. We had a great. That's what saying, We had a great journey together. And even though I went in London for six years on and off, it was six years in London, I was on a phone call to him every night, around every night to so that I actually I tell this story to once. I actually walked outside my house and there was a phone box. And I put fifty P in the phone
0: huh? box and one paid phone box and it fell out the other side of the fifty P but it clocked up there. Oh brilliant. <laughs> so, other than that, it was mentally based what so was. <laughs> there's so many people. There's so many people are righted now. I won't say that they don't know what we're talking about, but they don't have an appreciation for it, 'cause you can remember making those calls from, or even reversing the charges, and 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 the phone was in on the side of a street somewhere. So you're standing talking. It was. It made times. Um, I suppose. far more appreciative and it made us um, value them a lot more those memories brings a little bit of authenticity to it but um one of the things that stuck with me was that work ethic do you think he spotted the talent um, in in you early on or do you think it was the case we wanted to make sure you were keeping yourself busy and keeping yourself occupied i
1: i don't really know if any kid has talent Uh, well obviously there's talent there but i think it was the work ethic that my father says if you train, the, the, just the we the, uh, the messages that he gave me was like Ed
0: Moses first yeah.
1: on the track. And I love that time. one. That's why he's a 400 meter Olympic champion twi- twice over. That's why he hasn't been beaten ten years. And he would have sent that message into my head. Tell what, I, or if you're first in the gym and, and last out of it, there's a reason why you were the best. So he, he he always gave me wee stories, and 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 then the other side of it would have been, oh, I was up the to town today and I was talking to this guy xbox or blah 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 and he he says you're not going to make it you're not one this or you're not one that and that's as far as you're going and those were the sort of wee motivation things that he would have sent to me plus the fact that i worked hard and i think he's seen it, had a wee bit of talent so i had it but but i i don't look and i'm sure i'm sure it's the same as because i i i live with steve collins and I'm sure Wayne McCulloch, I was along with Wayne. I don't know. These are the guys. And dear boy McCollum, the three guys that I remember in my head. And I don't mean necessarily disrespected, I didn't look at any of those three guys and go, "Wow, he's some tongue. He's got the tongue. He has a tongue." But what I do remember of each and every one of them, and I'm sure it's the same for myself, was, is uh, they grafted. Yeah. They grafted their socks off. They run they trained, they ate right, they go to their bed, they didn't go to the clubs, or, they just lived boxing. Then you go to the other side of the guys, I looked at, for me, this is for me, guys like Paul Griffin, Simon yeah. McGee, guys like, oh, wow, he's got talent, he can box, he's got skills, you know what I mean, he doesn't train as hard as me, he doesn't work as hard as me, but well, he's got talent, you know, so... That's I believe it was any a success or anything that I'd done in boxing, it was generally through hard work, up early in the morning, out running, sweatsuit on, trek suits on, and just getting stuck in, you know. Do you want to spar the day? I I'll spar, I'll spar. You know, I wasn't frightened of sparring anybody. Or and I, and I I thought, well, you'll learn more in sparring than you will hitting the punch bag. Get in and spar even if you weren't getting ready for a fight, even if you weren't uh, you know near a fight I still always was up for sparring a lot of guys I remember a lot of guys would have said no no, no I'm not, I'm not fighting for three months time or two months I don't need to spar till nearer the time I didn't see it that way I seen it well I'll spar light weights, middleweights, weights, middle weights light heavyweights. I just thought well you know what it's better in there than hitting a bag for six or eight rounds you know so that was I think what it boiled down to hard work and dedication, plus having that uh, the big, my late father, the father figure, telling me I don't feel like the gym that I'd do this, even as a professional, take a day off, you need a rest, your body's telling you you need a rest, but big in the morning again, so, so I had a great encouragement from him
0: With that mindset and that work ethic, some people say it's an insane work, right? I've heard John Breen told me the same, almost name for name, the people that he can list after a career of of six world champions and everything else. He said the same people that work just, he said Dave Boy used to work himself to a standstill because he knew what was coming. I think that's what lets people, and it comes back to a little bit of what we said before we start recording, is when you do finish and when it's all said and done and it's closed, you guys know that you walk away not been able to have done any more. No regrets. No nothing left in the gym. Nothing left. That was it. You gave it absolutely all you had, and it brings that little bit of peace.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so too. Because especially now I'm 51, so I'm and I just think, oh wow, wow. You Where's know, that going? I I know I do. I'm mean, gonna meet up with guys, ex-boxers, Boy lives not that far from me, and Eamon McCoy, and that there guys. I meet up with a lot of guys, and there's there seems to be a contentment there. You know, you'll, I, there, there is certain guys. I, I certain guys. Think, well, could have done it, could have went more and done this and done that. But overall, overall, there's. You know, we're, we're pretty full. The glass is more than half full. We're happy. to so, uh, Anyway, I know I'm very happy what I've done and what I achieved from ballamina You know, I, I I look at myself and my town, which isn't which wasn't really a boxing town as far as any history. You know, you go to Belfast. And it's the same with Dave Boy Macaulay. he came from Carnock, in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> I always wonder. But then they had a great boxing club in Larn, so they had And he Hedroy Webb to train with. And then uh, Larne was 10 miles out of Belfast, so it, was, so it was more or less in Belfast, but we were well out of it. And I didn't have anybody to uh, really say, well, we've we've got champions here, or professional boxers here to go on our Olympic or anything. There was nobody around them. I mean, I sure it wasn't really. I was the first, so it was, you know. But it, and that's what I'm saying. It was great for for me, and it was great for my father because if it hadn't been for him, I had moved out, but I don't think I would have achieved anything near.
0: When it did come time to 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 make the decision to switch, am I right in saying you had seven Irish titles? But you also had, and I asked Wayne this last night. I can't ever remember hearing an Irish fighter to go to Cuba and beat a Cuban in a world championship. I not just inspiring sparring or in a camp. That must have been something else, I Emin. Mean. What was that like, to walk into that arena? I, I
1: remember thinking to myself, this is, you know, I've got one opportunity here and I've got to give it everything, you know. And uh, I, I, well, listen, we we had trained, there's four of us there, Dennis Gallivan, Ray Close and Neil Goff. And we had trained unbelievable. This, this was the first time that we'd actually had, we'd had actually had a Cuban coach train this some of the training the training was insane you know the fitness levels that we had you know so I had actually boxed in the the Gaelic Games along with Wayne McCulloch uh, two or three months before I was going to Cuba I had won the under 19 championships in Dublin so I had so I was going I was coming off an unbelievable uh, run of wins and success and uh, you know I had a great get into that tournament I was I felt amazing, so I did. We, the training, the sparring, everything was just professional. And probably one of the most professional camps or things, because we trained down at Kerry for six weeks, we did. And in the course of that six weeks, I headed up to Balna and had two fights in the Gaelic Games, so I had. And, uh, and then I actually fought uh, an international against Italy, so I did for Ireland. And, and I had somewhere in the region, that was the year of was sitting back I actually, had a uh, lost in the final against the Romanian, so I did. Uh, and I had 21 fights that year, and that was the only, the only loss I had that year. So I had, so I did, it was a fantastic
2: Incredible, year.
1: Yeah. And to go to Cuba and debate the American, the Cuban, and the Canadian, and then lose out, I was, I was, a, a, a yeah. unbelievable. You know, just to get a medal was a great thing, but to do what I done and to do with all the other guys I think the whole four of us could have won medals we were that good a condition and that good a shape and D- Dennis Galton did win a medal he won a bronze right so and he was very very talented too and Roy Jones was there that year but when I look back at the talent that was there that year as, as somebody showed me a programme uh, we had Costa Zoo was there uh, uh, and uh, what do you call it he, he didn't win a medal Ike Cordy was there, there was another one yeah. And he didn't want a medal. And Roy Jones was there and didn't win a medal. And the Cuban that fought Michael Carruth in the final of the Olympics, he was a weight below me. It was a fantastic result to go out there and not only to beat a Cuban, but to stop him in the first round, you know. So I was very, very blessed. So it was, I had a great performance. I had a great tournament. I had a great build-up to it, And everything went to plan, so it did, you know. So uh, one fight away from being world jump in then and it wasn't to be but later down the line I got myself a shot at a professional world title and I took it so I'm, I'm delighted
0: and so, I think what people what people need to remember as well and should bear in mind that this was long before Olympic Council funding, long before anyone was giving anybody anything this was done on, as my old nan used to say, on Shank's mare
1: you just winged it see? So Play it as simple as that, you know yeah. you, you, you had to go down to Dublin and train for the weekend and I can't I really can't remember where we where we stayed. You know, and you were down on a Friday and trained there on a Friday, trained on a Saturday, trained on a Sunday and back up home again on a Sunday night, you on know, 130 miles. And uh, that was the way it was done. You know, and nowadays, you'd be down on a Friday, you would get paid, you get put up, and you would get all your meals done for you. And, you know, you know it'd be just a different scenario. But, isn't it, you when know,
0: I was just sitting thinking there the other day when you said that, isn't there six qualified for the Olympic Games and then looking at that wee uh, brother and sister incredible
1: uh, I I just felt my fullest joy Mm. and happiness for that family to see I think what an achievement
0: I've had the pleasure of speaking with people like yourself and John Breen who have worked hands on with Mr Eastwood as he was known at the time became well known he gave you the opportunity and he gave you the shop window he knew talent too when he saw it for you being a decorated amateur um, and walking into that gym with lads like Corlova with lads like uh, España with lads like um, John Lloyd, What was that like?
1: That's what I'm saying. You know, it was we actually the Irish team came up to spar us. Uh, when I say us, all the likes of Low and the only one on that time that sort of hold their dear boy was there too. And I would say the likes of at that time the Irish team would have been. William McCulloch, Michael Cruth, maybe Billy Walsh, guys like that there and they come up on the East was to spar they were getting ready for Europeans or World Championships or something and they end up you know, the professionals were just too much for them, so they were. they couldn't get any sparring so they couldn't and uh, the only one that sort of hold his own believe it or not was William McCulloch it was, you know, and, and they, at that time the professional guys were trying to give the upper hand, so they were, if I can remember and uh, it was it was and I think it was the right decision for me anyway. And, you know, all the other guys were there. Too, but there was so much for me to learn from. And I realised then that this, you know, if I stay amateur, I stay in Ballymena,
0: yeah. my hometown, my own club, All Saints. And
1: who do I love? I look my All Saints boxing club, and it's me. You know, there's other kids training. There's nobody else anything So that That's the choice I have. Going down to Dublin every so often to train with the the squads or the elite squads and working your way on the the number one spot or the and and trying to represent your company then maybe going and getting picked and going down into camps every twice a year or whatever or going up into Eastwood's gym every day. It's there for you and you can train, get coached, spar, uh, and be in the circle of these great good fighters, great some of them great fighters. At that time, Paul Hodgson, WBC, family oh, week oh, champion.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: There was a lot of good guys from Liverpool that come over. The best of the amateur and the professional scene had come over from Liverpool too. And then there was a. Few, you also had the guys like, I mean, Lario Zapata coming in to spar the boy Macaulay. Uh and you had other guys coming in, lightweights, and was, there was a, a great mixture of what was happening there, and it was Jim.
0: Just a word for for the for the um the very special and and the. I don't know. It's hard to find words at times, but Eddie Shaw, all under his eye, it must, it must have been something else. <laughs> that was fantastic, you know. And I, 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 he, he took
1: a big lighting to me, Eddie Shaw, when I first came up and to so and and there was a time there during the summer. I remember coming up and training during the summer, and it was just me and him and the gym at the stage. Sure, it was like the closed season in them days. Uh, no such thing nowadays. <laughs> I remember training and then coming back. There was uh, a Cresanto Espana. And Eddie would have took care of the, the sparring. And I was sparring a Espana. And Espana had a coach called Bernard Chega.
0: Yeah. So and Eddie told Chega, go you down there to the, the back of
1: the hall <laughs> and take him take him in the pads, such and such, and uh, work with him. And that's Because Eddie was the head coach. And Eddie then took me in the corner and he said, listen, Eman, this is what you do. You work in the job, <laughs> work in that. And he was constantly, constantly encouraging me in the sparring with Spagna, and I was getting, and at that time, and not being big head at Oregon but I was getting, he was number five or number six in the world at that stage, he was in the top ten in the world, I was only 18 years of age, I was getting upper hand of in the sparring, most days, so it was, and I mean really getting up of them. I think he sent with one day. And he says, uh, You've got to come up and see this. You've got to come up and see it. But the reason it was getting the better of him was because at Eddie's and he was constantly, he wasn't giving Espana any directions. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of spoke Spanish. But then uh, if it, ch- it would have changed, and I know it would have changed, if, if uh, Bernard had been doing Espana's uh, Corner. So it was, he just didn't have anybody giving him directions or what to do. And Eddie was giving me. And then, the minute I landed, great shot, you know, brilliant, that's the way you do it. Keep that out there going, keep it going. That's it, you're hitting him there with that jab every time. And that was, that was unreal. So it was, I was getting a, I was an 18-year-old guy, 19 or whatever. I was getting up on a, on a Spagna and sparring, so it was, you know. And he, had, he sent for Eastwood for me to, for Eastwood to stand and watch us to see this, you know. So that was kind of around the time then I thought, well, this guy really wants me. He yeah. fancies me. So, I kind of, it was shortly after I went professional or I could have I could have even have been professional at that time you know but it was fantastic Eddie was a big part so he was he was a great wee man John Bray was the same sort of as Eddie Shaw hard working man grafted put in the time with the guys yeah. and his loyalty was second to none second to none a so he was you know and so it was Bernard Chega Bernard Chega who I became good friends with too and, and he coached me too learnt me a powerful lot he was one of the guys that you know that could show you wee moves and wee wee things over the years fantastic so they those three good coaches and unfortunately Eddie went uh, sadly went a I think it was you know and then you had Bernard Chega
0: without doubt this is what made Eamon feel so comfortable so at home when he walked into that matrim gym for the very first time many a young fighter if not all young fighters before him would have been over overawed but his sparring and his preparation in Eastwood's gym in Belfast set him up for everything that was to come in future The opportunity then I guess was it to go to go across to Matchroom how did that come about or how did that happen?
1: Well, I had just uh, I just spent three years at Eastwood and he was, I'm not saying he was coming to the, the end but he didn't have the same enthusiasm you know, although he went home for another couple of years but you could tell that he yeah. wasn't as excited as he was at the very beginning when I first came there, so I did. And my contract had run out, so I had, uh, he he wanted me to stay for another contract, so I did. And I just thought, you know what, I had a a wee injury, so I did. And the thing was, it was really doing it for me, I was involved, I was in my own town, so I was travelling up and down to Belfast, and at the weekends, Friday and Saturday and Sunday or whatever, the weekends, I wasn't, being as uh, disciplined as what I could have been, you know, and I was going back yep. up into the East West Gym. That was the main reason, that maybe overweight or and more were you out at the weekend or whatever, and that there. And so when I when I, I thought and said, you know what, I need a break, I need a change from here, and this was when I just had an uncle who lived in, I think it was London, and he put the context out there for me. Barry Hearn came on to me, so he did, and he says, look, there'll be a plane ticket for you me and my brother both and they sent a couple of plane tickets over and we we landed in L- Rumford, England and the mindset I had going to London was give this a go for five years I was and let's and give it
2: everything because towards the end I'd been 20 years of age and nearly 21 and, yeah. I mean, and
1: he says Jim i was starting to drop my you know if my mates had a call for me on Friday night or sorry let's name it we're heading to the Derrick Andrews have been a local Night club on a Friday night. I'd finished training on a Friday i didn't have to train on a Saturday. I had a turn on and I says, I ah, wish well, sure I'll go down to eleven o'clock. And before you know it, it's one o'clock. That was the way I was then.
0: That's something you spotted yourself that it was starting to creep into your. Your psyche, I mean when you hear Barry Hearn speak about you and to you and and the respect that he has for you and I likened it a little bit when I heard you talking with Kev Bourne a little bit to like the way Alex Ferguson speaks to his players, his former players. He was, how are you son, how's things?
1: We had a great relationship me and Barry, so we had, we had it off from the word go. We had a few fallouts along the way, so we had, at times I would argue about this and I wondered this and, you know, we came across times but overall it was a great, great relationship, so it was. The thing about Romford, England, for me, I didn't really like it, but it was good for me to get away from my hometown, So it was, because I just knew that I I wouldn't have got to where I was if I hadn't been away from home. As much as Eastwood's gym was in Belfast, and it was a great set-up and great training and things like that there, I was young. All the other guys, like Boy McCauley and... uh, Paul Hodgson and all the other guys, they were living in Bangor. So, so they were in a camp. I wasn't. I was able to come down home, so was. Um, you come down home and you get a knob at your door a Friday night or a Saturday night with one of your mates and you say, look, listen, we're only going down here You away you want. You didn't, and even though my father would have been strict and said to me, make sure you're back for 11 o'clock. I says, I, I'll do that. And, you know, they drifted on. So, it so uh, he couldn't, he couldn't. He couldn't discipline me the way when I was 16 or 17. I was 20 now at this stage, so I was able to make my own mind up and you know, stay out a bit later and do this and do that. So it was the best thing for me, going to London. It just was the right thing, and I could see it at the time. And I went there with an attitude of, well, this is going to be what it's going to be, and I'm not going to look back with any regrets. I'm going to get my sleeves rolled up, out running tomorrow morning, and in the gym the more afternoon and then back on home and into my bed and back into the gym that evening again about half day and that was the whole attitude the whole time i was there
2: you made every day can you lived like a pro to be fair to you you know you did sacrifice you didn't go out on the town like some of the boys did you know you, you was a professional fighter and the thing that always made me laugh at you and you remember you used to come and see me every friday before you fight and used to say, can I be paid now? Now, normally, normally I would never pay a boxer before his fall because things can go wrong. There can be medical issues. There can be pullouts. But he used to say to me, it makes me feel better if I've got, he said, I won't pay my check in, but can I have my check? And I used to give him a check on a Friday. And he used to wear this bubble hat and he used to put the check inside his hat. <laughs> so on the Friday and the Saturday before the fight he'd be walking around with his paycheck in his head so to speak and that, that was that was aim all he wanted to know was who am I fighting when am I fighting how much am I gaining, and when can I fight next
0: didn't take long we were in- Almost straight away, it was a Commonwealth title fight with, with a tough Canadian Donovan Butcher. Putting in context, 20 fights, three years. At that stage, you were you were chomping at the bit, and comes that title, and there was no mistake. No, I was confident. So it was Gennady. I, uh, I
2: wasn't the favourite. I was very confident. So it was I'd done
1: everything right in the. Uh, Preparation for it as far as sparring, as far as my road work, everything was right. Like the diet and made the weight comfortable, everything was good, so it was. And uh, I, I, I took the opportunity with both hands, so it was one of my better nights, so it was. I was in great form and uh, I, I was really up for it, so it was. And it was a fantastic night. And one of the nights that Barry Hearn and Freddie Keane and me sat down, and um, Freddie's gone now, but it's one of the nights that we go, wow. Uh, you know, this is what it's all about, you know, it's, it was a great moment, so it was, you know, so I can look back on that moment and say, if I've never done anything else again, that's one of the better moments of my life,
0: you know, yeah,
1: no, this, You know, Yeah, it's happened, my mum had fell and damaged her back, and my dad couldn't tell me about it, I had to get an ambulance, and you know, there was a couple of wee things happened at home, and he says, hey, man, I rung him that night, and I said, listen, uh, uh, I've just won, he says, I know, son, I know, and I could hear him crying in the background, so I could the tears were tripping and you know and proudness and things like that so that, that makes it, that means a big loss. so it does you know, it, it's a fantastic so was you know Can I
2: do 12 rounds? Let me show Good left foot. Oh yes! Oh, yes! Oh. in big trouble oh. He is! A count of seven, the champion in enormous trouble and three
0: it was like he realised he had a fellow who was on the cusp who was more than ready and there was no hanging around. So you had a couple of defences of that title and then you were in then for the for the WBO. Did it seem like it was quick moving? I, I, I was
1: forcing him to, to a degree and he was saying, look, I mean, this is the way it is. At that time, he had put out an offer for me to fight uh, Crescenta Espana. So I had, and I said, look, listen, I want to fight him. I felt I was ready for him and that was a, there was a lot of talk in the north of Ireland uh, about me in a Spania fight and I was Commonwealth champion I defended it twice and he was the WBA champion so it was there was a bit of I had put it out there in the papers which was true I believe it was true that I got the upper hand of him in sparring two to three years ago and now I'm the Commonwealth champion I said listen they're offering it now Barry you got to take it so you do and he said no 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 we're going this way here, we'll win the WBO title and then we'll get two or three defences or whatever. He didn't say two or three defences but he says, then down the line we'll fight these guys in a unification match. And I says, I think that'll do so. And that was the reason. Plus, as you say, I had somewhere in the region of 21 or 22 fights at this stage. And, uh, in those days I was the, kind of the number that you, that you fought for more yeah. I know nowadays it could be 14 or 15 fights or 12 or 13 fights, but in those days that was kind of... And, and and also the fact that I had been boxing professional since I was 18, so it was, you know, and I was 23 at that stage, so it had been five years, plus I had a good amateur pedigree, plus, I, you know, I'd been in the gym, I was living the sport, I was doing everything right, so it kind of comes to you what, what you're doing, you know, if you're doing all the... Doing all the shifts, you'll get your awards, so you, will, you know, and that's what happens.
0: When it eventually came around, WBO welterweight title, Lorenzo Smith. Can you remember in the build-up to it, the camp and everything else, did anything change or was it ever just the same? It was just another fight. Was there a sense or a feel about you that everything's everything's on this?
1: I was a 12-rounder my first time. I was young, yes. I always looked, in, and Steve Collins was in the camp with me too, was at that time. He had been living in the same house as me, and he had fought for the world title at a young age too
0: so it was against Mike McCallum that's right yeah. I think he'd maybe he'd done it in
2: was it 16 or 17 fights so it was
1: you know so and he says you know there wasn't, he wasn't saying it in a negative way he said look him you're young and you're 22 23 years of age if it doesn't work you can always come again but give it your best shot he wanted me to win but he, he also realised that you'll get another goal you're young so he, well, and that is true and that's one of the good things about going professional for me, anyway. At a young age, that you'll, you'll get one, possibly two chances at it. you well, at that level, if you're good enough. But if you're 29 or 30 years of age and you turn professional at 28 or whatever it may be, you could be ten, you could be two or three years before you build your career. And by the time you know you're 31. You're only going to get one chance at a world title shot. So you yeah, you know, if you get into your late twenties yep. or your or into your thirties. So I knew that it was going to get a chance and also but I wanted to take it in the first go. I wanted to get in and I wanted to get out early, so I did that was the plan. So it was in my head. I had I had a plan, as I said to you from the start, five years yeah. out and in and out of this game and give it everything and not have any regrets and not look back and say, I wish they could have done this, or wish they could've done that. I was delighted, I got it. Tough fight. Very awkward guy. Good mover. I think he was on 23, in 20, three, one loss in 23 or 24 fights. So I was delighted
0: that I got the one. The one thing you always know early enough you're looking for the title you're looking for a sign you're looking for a film, but every <laughs> any of the ones I watched you there was that look on the opponent's face he knew he was getting hit and he knew this was going to be a long night and that's what Wayne said he said you hit so hard he said for a welter. That marker came and you, you generally and you see it you see it on Smith's face. I
1: think he learned a wee bit over the years you know and uh I mean, uh, that, that's a nice comment from William McCulloch, is you know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, no, I, I, I had a good left hook, so I had, and uh, I could punch a wee bit, so I could. I, I think that, that would have been one of my strong points. But the problem is, when you can hit a wee bit, you can, I, when I'm training kids here, and I do train kids, and I say, look, forget about you can punch or you want, to yeah. you have know, a wee bit of the minute and he can punch, I said, forget all about that. It's the one that knocks a guy out, or the one that hurts the a guy is the one he can't see. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the big hard punch. you are loading up. It's the other one. So it but of not But when you know you can't punch and you know you carry a wee bit of sting in your punch, then it's uh, uh, you're always trying to knock a guy out for you. And that's that's just that's
0: just. There's a brilliant saying: that when the only tool you have in your belt is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So you're going around trying to hammer it all the whole time. So it's uh, you're right now. You're 100% right. You're champion you're defending it, and they're coming ticking fast he's keeping you busy you're getting fight the two with a tough dominican as well
2: switches punches well to a no look for that see left hook for the body chops the right hand over the top and the dominican republic challenger angel beltry He's taken a bit of stick early on, but it's, it's a crafty campaigner and has come back quite a bit now. Here comes the bell. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, nice we picture. have a decision. Judge Caesar Ramos scores it 120 points to 109. That's Judge Hemp Andriase scores it 119 to 110. Okay. And Judge Cornelius. Stookey scores it,
0: 119 to 109 for the winner, oh. and still! Yeah, it could have gone either way, you kept that going. What you're noticing as well, coming on the undercard, building behind you, are names that people know. the likes of Henry Wharton and, and Eubank, they were on your cards. Steve Collins was a regular on your cards. Was it more like a team or a stable, or did you all do your own thing?
1: We shared a house it with that Collins, me, and there was a guy called Paul Jones, Selby Jones and uh,
0: oh, yeah, yeah. it was a wee group of us we kind of stayed together we all done
1: I, I kind of I, I, I looked up when I was in for even though I was the champion at that time Collins was on the verge of winning the title mm. and I remember I remember going to Dublin I got voted uh, Irish Boxer of the Year in 93 I think it was and I remember saying I was, was in a sports shop in Dublin this guy wanted me to sign a punch bag I said sure, you will have your own world champion very soon oh, Steve Collins uh, he says oh no he's had two or three goals already and, he, and uh, he's not going to win more time, it was all negative, and I thought to myself, do you realise how good he is? Uh, but I learnt a lot from the likes of Kongs, so I so did, and uh, he was a great guy to sort of, even though I was a champion, he, he was going to be the next thing, so he was, you learn off people so you do, but there was a wee group of us together, and, uh, and that was when we sort of hung about together in around Rockford and we trained with each other, competitive, this was there too, you need that, You need it in the gym. You need it in training. And I always wanted to be the best runner in uh, the morning runs. Always wanted to be the best in sparring. Always wanted to be the best. Train that wee bit extra. And that was the same with the rest of them. But there were two or three of us guys. Collins was one of them. And uh, Sylvie Jones was another. And we sort of stuck together. So we did the Davis. And the Davis ended up winning same titles. WBO titles. So we did the whole Davis.
0: And Collins as well to win it against Pyatt when he did win it. I watched that fight back a while ago. Were the two guys stablemates at the time or had Pyatt moved on? No, Pyatt had moved on at this stage. Pyatt was, was fancied going into that one, but he, oh, he was it, it wasn't happening. Yeah. Pyatt had beat
1: uh, Calibre, uh the guy that had beat Collins for the European title. Uh, and he was actually the world champion at that time. The guy that Pyatt took the title off was a guy that had already beat Steve Collins. Uh, so you know and also it was in Pyatt's hometown I think around that time and near his hometown, so it was, if not in his hometown. So he was every right to be favoured, so it was, but when you when you really looked at it, Paul said it. This was his chance, so it yeah. was, you know, and it was he wasn't going to be denied. Although
0: it is a lonely sport, you had that camaraderie that um, you were able to share in each other's, not share it, but you were able to enjoy each other's victories. The Irish-English thing just brings a little bit of extra spice, doesn't
1: it? I mean, I was i was good friends with Ben and I was good friends with uh, Eubanks and all those guys. I, I mixed in and mingled with them all. I was picked up in airports with them and picked up in cars with them and sat at dues with them before and after my fights and as you said on my undercard, I was on their undercard. But Collins was my friend. Wayne mm. McCulloch was my friend. They
2: were comrades so they were there. And,
0: yeah. and you cannot go against an Irish guy. It doesn't matter how no. friendly we are
1: with these other guys or how well you know them. Yes, we're all boxers. But no Irish guys is the only ones you support, you know, and it comes that, you know. Even if you don't Share the same camp with them, I just—I think it's just a natural thing, isn't
0: it? I'll never—and the day I do, i nearly pack it up. I cannot go against one of our own. I can't because there's enough out there that will. So we're a
1: small country, you so are. Um, we punch above our weight as far as this sport's concerned.
2: We have done amazing, absolutely amazing, and it's one of the things I think
0: we don't get enough credit for uh, from both governments in the south yeah. and
1: the north, you know, and we really don't and uh, it should be highlighted a lot more. I mean, especially these six guys going to the Olympic Games, the world champions they really have, really have done, if it was football or pretty much any other sport, uh, golf or whatever, you know, any sport, it would be, be unreal. But what boxing has done over the years is just phenomenal so as you know the success we've had over the years has just been second to none
0: any night of the year you can go from you can change your life you know and that's the beauty of it i suppose I mean, when you come to the end your one was was that in your mind all the time did, did the trek across to london start to become a little bit cumbersome was it like you were getting a bit older you you had an extensive amateur you had an extensive pro career the fights were getting tougher eventually th- that was it i mean i watched it the other night it was horrific it was it was, it was hard to believe to be honest with you but it, was that the, was in your mind one way or the other that the end was coming close, anyways?
1: It was coming to the end, so it was two, one, two or three things was happening. I could no no longer. When I won the title, and and that was a couple of years of hold on to it, so it was maybe three years to hold on to it. I was getting invited to uh, Christmas times and things like that, to dinners and sports awards and things like that. And it kind of was. And I I never drunk, so never the whole time I boxed. I was taking, a, I was eating and putting on the weight, and the hard I was going up to summer in the region of 12, 12 and a half stone, and trying to take that two stone off was killing me. So what happened was, at the, the very end, I got offered a fight to fight Pernell Whitaker in a unification match, and I said to Barry Hearn, "Is that offer there on the table?" And he says, "It is, Eamon, it's here." And this was one of the times where we kind of clashed, and, and he says, "Eamon, you got to fight. You're mandatory. This Mexican guy." And uh, he showed me a, a thing of me. It was 36 fights, somewhere in the region of 31 knockouts, at yeah. 21 years of age. And uh, I says, "I've draw a fight, your man there, Pernell Whittaker He's a hall of famer. It's uh, going to be a hall of famer." And I says, "Plus, I'm getting paid five times what I'm getting paid, or ten times from what I'm getting paid for fighting him." But Barry managed at this time. He managed me, and he managed uh, the Mexican who was in the no, ring.
2: And uh, it was kind of like a conflict of interest, so it was
1: a nice I said, listen, Bari, I don't really want to fight him. And I just cannot get motivated for him. As good as all well as he is, uh, and as much as you, I, I, I was nearer, closer to the fight that I found out that he managed him. And I kind of, oh, what the hell is this all about? It was business for Bari at this stage. And I just thought, no, I'm not interested anymore. So I didn't, eat, I didn't actually go to London that time. I stayed at home in a train to Jerry Story's gym in Belfast. And I up and down in the car. Done a bit of sparring. Wasn't really motivated. And I thought, you know what? Actually, I'm going to pull out of this. Because I couldn't get up for it. Couldn't get motivated. And it was actually my father who says to me, look, Eamon, give it everything. Come on, go. There's one more go. Plus, you're getting a payday. You know what I mean? Don't, don't throw the towel in yeah And... The kind of forced anti-Hetso was, in that sense, and I went ahead with it, and the rest is history, you know.
2: He doesn't like the look of it. He had a good look at him there, at the referee. This just shows you this fight game is so unpredictable. I mean, Loughran on the, you know, wanted to make a real name for himself. And this fella, Jose Luis Lopez, who's dead, by the way, who's in the ring there, was a very good fighter. I knew all about him. See, that's, that's where the punch goes to the ankle there, when they start hobbling back to the corner.
0: And I think as well as that, P- Pernell Whitaker, if I'm right in saying, had just beaten Buddy McGirt for the second time. So that was setting up a huge fight. It would have been massive. It would have been the next level world interest again. But there's no way, there's no nice way to go. And that was, it was a tough loss. was everything else. But by that stage, you had your failure. You had done what you set out to do in the time that you had set out to do it. So it was, it had run its course. But um, it was, it, it was, again, a sign of the time. It was a sign of of, of your strength and your mental strength. Many people feel pressure to come back and do whatever, but you, you hadn't had your mind. You'd your mind made up. And
1: uh... No, I, I set out to achieve over the five years was my thing. I six years into it, so hard, had. And uh, the, the the one fight that I wanted was there. I, I remember listening to an interview there, so I did, and it was Steve Collins. And it was a similar situation. Uh, he was to fight. Uh, his mandatory was uh, the guy from Wales, uh, Joey Kazaki. And uh, he he didn't want to take the fight, or I'm not saying he didn't want to take it. He had no interest whatsoever. Uh, in, uh, if you read the interview, and he was he wanted to fight Roy Jones, and he says if I don't get the Roy Jones fight, I'm not going to box on. So I'm not, and that was the end of it. So it was. He didn't box on, but his mandatory was Joey Kazaki, That's right. who was an, un- an unbelievable talent. So it was. But to Steve Collins, he looked at him and says, oh... He's just another one of these young, great kids coming on their way up. He couldn't get motivated for him, but he could get motivated. He, he says, I could get motivated for Roy Jones at that time. And I understand kind of what he was saying, you know. So, But it was the same for me. So it was against Bernal Whitaker and this Mexican guy. I found it difficult, even
0: though he was a crack. I found it difficult to motivate him so you know. But, but to sign off with it, is, and, and, and just to be able to walk away and so say, listen. That's me. I'm done. I'm, I'm going. To... It, it takes guts because there's a lot of people are, will throw a lot of money at fellas to do things. And no,
1: I, and I think you know, as my mate and we talked about there, uh, Wayne McCulloch earlier, he fought a couple of fights more than what he probably should. And the one that I see in my mind is the one of Scotland where he fought a guy called Scott Harrison. And
2: uh, I mean, he was he, he was giving away a stone of weight. Sto- so at least.
1: It was a featherweight, so it was. But Wayne was never really a featherweight, and uh, Harrison was a big featherweight. I would say he probably weighed over ten stone on the night of the fight. And I mean, I don't like he, he give it. He give Wayne a powerful powerful hard night that's what I did you know and I think in saying it was probably one or two fights too many for weighing at that time you know.
0: To your own credit you've gone full circle now you're back at All Saints you've been to the top of the game can you see the areas that have changed the most?
1: The diet's a big thing so it is a massive thing it's, an, it's actually a science on its own now so it is compared to when I was boxing it's actually an amazing thing so it is uh, these kids can make weight now and they can actually rehydrate and uh, and be strong, and and giving it as good as what they were, but well, we we didn't know how to yeah. properly rehydrate, so we didn't, we made the weight, and we kind of went out and ate potatoes, and maybe a steak or something, you know, we didn't, we just didn't know the right things to eat, after we went in, there's that side of it now, and then there's a, there's a great emphasis on uh, the rest, you know, yeah. uh, and proper rest, and, and, and stuff like that there you know in the training side of things there's, there's so much now so it is and uh, strength and conditioning is a big thing so it is and, but it really it boils down to the boxing side of things again still if you've got the boxing side of things you've got a suss so you have you know
0: and thank you Eamon very much there's something very special about fighters who are so confident so comfortable in their own skin who are happy with their lot who have done everything they set out to do and are are just are just able to sit proudly on that record thank you for listening to this episode thank you Eamon for giving me your time Uh, if you like this episode please share it don't forget our sponsors top pro boxing violent gentlemen and of course Irish power the best Irish energy drink on the market you're going to hear a lot more from these three as we work over the next couple of weeks you won't have to wait as long I promise there's another one in the tubes as we speak going to look at the show at the weekend in the Devonish and we're going to look at the Irish Elite Finals coming up also so that's about it for me and them until then apologies again for the delay thank you for sticking with me I promise you we're going to come thick and fast over the next couple of weeks and as those long dark cold evenings draw in it leaves Mr Joshua with lots to ponder and lots to think about but no matter what else comes or goes AJ you know mate Of course, you know. All's well that ends well.